Pastor Ed Taylor has this to say about our good shepherd. It's so good to know that God is our shepherd, amen? Just so good. When Jesus said he's the good shepherd, that's what he means. He's the good shepherd. He's not the bad shepherd. He's not the mean shepherd. He's not the destructive shepherd. And he's definitely not a hireling in our lives. He's not going to run away when times get tough. But rather, people might run away. People might abandon you. People might betray you. People might come against you in your hardest, most difficult times. But the Bible promises that even if our mother and father forsake us, God will not forsake us. He will not turn his back upon us. He will not be a hireling to us. He is the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. This is amazing grace. Throughout the Bible, we are likened to sheep, and for good reason. Sheep need a shepherd. Well, thankfully, we have that in Jesus. Today on Abounding Grace, you'll see why it's so important in life that we let God be our shepherd. I know you'll be left encouraged as you study along with Pastor Ed Taylor today. He'll be covering John chapter 10 and Psalm 23. I think in my own life, I wonder if you can as well of all the dumb decisions I've made over the years because I'm just following the crowd, not hearing from the Lord, not following Him. I'm sure when you young people, and maybe you guys go back to your days of college when you were looking at what to do and what to major, that you didn't sign up for any sheep training course. There's no major in sheep training. You can train horses and you can train dogs. You can't train cats. You can't do anything with cats. I don't, I don't know what why cats even exist. (laughs) That's another Bible study altogether. Uh, And don't stone me, cat lovers. You can train dogs and you can train horses, but you can't train sheep. They're basically untrainable, limited in their abilities. Sheep are defenseless. They have no claws, no fangs. They cannot nibble their enemies to death. It's not possible. Sheep do bite, but they're not able to take down the largest or smallest of animals. You know, sheep are easily spooked by the smallest of things. Even as small as a squirrel can send a sheep running in terror. When, when sports teams look to choose the name for their team, the Chicago Bears, the Denver Broncos, the St. Louis Lambs. No, it's the St. Louis what? Rams, unless they're losing and then they get called the St. Louis Lambs. But you don't have St. Louis Lambs. In the most, one of the most famous sayings that, said that, that you and I know, it's not lions, tigers, and sheep. Oh my You know, sheep get dirty, and they stay that way, and they don't care. So much so, they can get so dirty and carry so much baggage in their wool that they can get so heavy that they'll fall over and they can't get up on their own. And they'll die that way because they don't take care of themselves, and they don't care. 
It's really not a great compliment, friends, to be called a sheep. (laughs) But you know, in our lives, we can see that the point that God's making when he compares us to sheep is that we are strong, and we are smart, and we are safe, and we are secure when we let God be our shepherd. That's when we're smartest. That's when we're strongest. Because, you know, a lot of people choose other things to be their shepherd. Some people, some of you listening today, you, you've chosen money. If you were to say that, you open up this psalm, you know, money is my shepherd, Pastor. You know, I've worked really hard for money, and I can get a lot of things. I could pretty much do whatever I want. That's the kind of money I have. I can buy my way into this, and if I need to be happy, I can buy something that will make me happy. And yet what you have found, and if you haven't, you will soon enough, is that money makes a horrible shepherd. Because money can buy you happiness, but it can't buy you joy. It can buy you the opportunity to be around a lot of people, but it can't buy you true friends. And I'll tell you what, money can't buy you salvation, the forgiveness of your sins. It may not be money for you. Maybe it's knowledge. Maybe today you go, wait a minute, Ed, I've studied, I've studied a long time in life, and so the shepherd of my life is knowledge. I, I like to learn, and if I don't know something, then I'll study it, and I'll learn it, and I'll get through it. But let me tell you something, friend. You'll never be smart enough to have your knowledge be your shepherd. You need a God that is of infinite wisdom, the creator of the universe. Knowledge will cause you to fall short in so many different ways. And I can think of the many different things that have substituted God. I I believe in science. That's my shepherd, science, and the advancement of scientific information. Listen, listen, as good as science is, God created science. He is the author and finisher of life. And without a relationship with God in an intimate way, science won't save you, money won't save you, knowledge won't save you, and any other thing that you have replaced God with. You see, David could have picked all sorts of acceptable lines. He could have all sorts of different analogies. He could have said, and rightly so, the Lord is my commander-in-chief and I'm his warrior. Okay? He could have said, the Lord is my king and I am his ambassador or his subject. He could have said, the the Lord is my attorney and I his client. Of all the relationships that he could have chosen that have been reserved by the Holy Spirit for us today, what does he say? The Lord is my shepherd and what? I shall not want. He's my shepherd, my protector. He's in total control of my life. I can trust him. I can live a life of contentment and peace because I know that God takes care of all of my needs, that the Lord is the source of my provision, and he takes care of me. I will not want. It's a very frustrating thing when you and I confuse our wants with our needs. This, is, this, is, this happens to us all the time. It's a very discouraging thing for me when I begin to see my wants and, and call them needs, and then when God doesn't provide for them, I get discouraged. No, God has promised to provide. We, we will not, see, the word want can also be described here in the Hebrew as I will not lack. It's not an open, hey, whatever you want, the shepherd will take care of you. No, no, no. I will lack nothing because God will supply everything according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Notice verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down. He leads me beside the still waters. So so how does God make me lie down? I started thinking of a few ways that he does that. You know, first of all, he will 
They make us lie down from time to time with sickness and illness. You ever get one of those? Well, you're just out. And that's it. You're just down for the count to rest it out. I mean, you'll get so sick that, that your spouse or your friend will go, you need to go to the doctor. So you make, your, you make your appointment. You get it all ready. They take you down to the doctor. You wait in the waiting room. You finally visit. They do their assessment. And here's what they say. You need to go home and rest. Lots of fluid and rest. And you're like, what? I mean, it's good that it wasn't something worse, but I did not need to come to the doctor to be liquids and rest. I already know that. And yet... It was just a repetition for God saying he's making you to lie down and rest. Our life can be so filled and so busy and so much. And sometimes it's by sickness and illness. Other times it's by command. God just simply says it's time to rest. He speaks to your heart. He reveals a scripture to you. You go, you know what? You need to back off and rest. You need to take some time away. Remember with Israel, he told them, work six days, but on the seventh day, rest. For the believer, he says, keep in mind that Jesus Christ now is your Sabbath rest and live a life that rests in him. You know, for a sheep to rest, you know, there's a great book, by the way, on this topic. I'd encourage you to pick it up. It's called A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm by Philip Keller. It's a classic, but it's such a beautiful, wonderful look of a man and a pastor who spent time as a shepherd and then wove Psalm 23 into the narrative of the reality of a shepherd. And he teaches us that for a sheep to rest, everything has to be just right. A sheep has to have confidence and courage that comes from his shepherd. There needs to be in a sheep's mind a peace from predators because they're well aware of predators. Even in our own lives, you know how there are those that would like to, to Pray, not P-R-A-Y, but P-R-E-Y upon your faith and upon your life and take advantage of you and me in some way. Maybe there are some enemies coming after you with accusations or lies and you just want to rest by knowing there's a peace that God will take care of you with the predators. Secondly, a sheep needed to be at peace from pests. Pests. You know, the flies and the bugs and just the everyday craziness, you know, and just in our lives. We need to have that peace of knowing, hey, all these little things, all these annoyances, all these difficulties, Lord, I trust you in my life. With the big things, God, I trust you in my life. With the little things, there also needed to be a peace in the sheep from tension from other sheep. Remember, we learned that sheep, they like to butt heads. We're going to learn in our next time together that God would anoint our heads with oil so that when we do butt heads, we just slide right off and it releases the pain of the kind of tension that comes when from time to time, as human beings, we butt heads. There needs to be a peace from that type of tension. There also needs to be a peace from hunger. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6? That those that hunger and thirst for righteousness will what? Be filled. And see, the shepherd provides peace from all of these things and more. Everything, when it's just right, leads to a real good night's rest with the shepherd taking care. It's important for us to understand that only the shepherd can provide these things to the flock. Not speak these things to the flock, but also provide them. And it's completely up to, my, to our shepherd to keep us free from the disturbing influences that wreck our lives. So can I ask you, when's the last time you took a rest? A real rest. I've found over the years that God gets far more done in me and through me when I'm well rested. A rest. 
I mean, a rest where I'm just, tr- you know, to, t- to be able to take a, a rest is truly trusting God with everything around you. You know, those of you that have been at Calvary for the last couple of years, you know that there was a season not too long ago where I took months and months off. And you know what? The church did just fine. <laughs> everything went on as usual. People are getting saved. The church is being built up. The leadership continue to serve like they normally would as God had pulled me away after a great crisis in my life to rest, to be rejuvenated, to trust him, to, to have things built up back in my life. And I would say it's the same is true for you whether it's a great crisis in your life or the need for regular rest. I mean, we live in a fast-paced society. Have you noticed? The intrusion upon our lives is not getting less, but it's getting more. I mean, it's just so much. Now, it's been a few years since I've been in the corporate world, but I remember, and I'm sure it's even worse today, where the pressure and the tension and the deadlines and the demands and the word efficiency try to get more for less time and less money, and there, there you are, and then in the midst of all of that, run, 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 then the announces, hey, layoffs are coming, and now you've got the stress of will I have my job, will I not have my job, and what will happen? And they finally call you into the office and say, hey, look, We're not laying you off. You're sticking around. And to that, you're like, thank you, Lord, until they say, but the 10 people in your department who were laid off, you're going to do all their job now. And you're like, wow, Lord, how much can a man take? This is too much. And one of the ways to be able to make it in a very frantically paced society is to rest. You've got to get your rest with all the tension, all the demands, all the deadlines, all the stress. Remember back in the creation count? In those literal six days of creation, what did God do on the seventh? He rested as a pattern. And you know, the universe didn't fall apart when God rested. He was able to think if the universe didn't fall apart when God rested, then things will be okay when you and I rest as well. Do you know God commanded the children of Israel to take a rest? Not only a Sabbath rest per week, but did you know that God gave the nation of Israel a annual or a year Sabbath? That they were to work six years and take a whole year off. Can anybody have an amen to that? Do you want a year off? So just go into work tomorrow, say, hey, look, man, I was listening to my pastor. The Bible says I need a year off. So I'll be back in 365 days. <laughs> If you do that, tell me how it goes. I'm just curious. (laughs) Different little of society, of course, for the Hebrew nation. They were an agrarian. They were farmers. And the idea between the yearly, that year rest after six years, rest the seventh, is they were to work the land for six years, put a little bit away, put a little bit away. On that seventh year, they were to rest, and the land was to rest. I mean, resting is very important. The Bible even promises in the Psalms that God will give his beloved rest. Unfortunately for the nation of Israel, they disobeyed and ignored this command for 490 years. And those of you that are Bible students and have studied with us, you know that after 490 years of disobeying this command, that God sent Babylon to take the nation captive for how many years? 70. And if you do the math, it's for every Sabbath year that they did not give God he got it back. God wants us to rest. The Lord makes me lay down, church. The Lord makes you lay down because we need it. I need to stop what I'm doing and rest my weary soul in him. Even as a church, there'll be times where we stop what we're doing as a church. All ministry, all activity comes to a screeching halt, and all we do is gather together to pray and fast. 
to seek the Lord, to find, God, what do you want? We, we want to rest our church. We want to rest our servants, and we want to rest to seek your face. What is it that you have for us? Notice he makes us lie down where? In green pastures. He leads us where? Beside the still waters. Green pastures, because I believe there are pastors out there that will not feed you and nourish you. They will poison you and hurt and harm us. He makes me lie down in places that are peaceful, calm, comfortable, and nourishing. Because sheep, again, have a tendency, just they're hungry, they'll just eat what's right in front of them. They don't care what it is. They don't care if it's green grass or brown grass. They don't care if it's alive or dead. Sheep are known to eat the dead, most disgusting, diseased, brown grass in front of them. They'll eat it all the way down to the rocks and start eating the rocks too, to their own demise, to their own destruction. And how often have we seen sheep in the human realm take in and take in things to their own destruction? We need a shepherd that moves us on. We need a shepherd that will take us to that which will nourish us. We need a shepherd knowing that we need to move on from the rocks and the dirt, move on from the things that are physically harmful to us to the things that will strengthen us. Sheep also have a tendency to drink the whatever's water is in front of them. They don't examine it. They don't do a water test. You know, it could be putrid. It could be stagnant. It could also be diseased, and they'll just take it all in. But our good shepherd doesn't allow that, moving us on to the places that are nourishing and beautiful and calm. In, their li- in our lives, There's no substitute for knowing and believing that the shepherd is nearby. His presence in our lives, faithful and true, will dispel the fears, the panic, and the terrors of the unknown. Notice verse 3. He restores my soul. He then leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. He restores my soul. There's so much damage being done to our souls, to the very inward part that relates with God that we'll spend eternity with God. I mean, this world, this sin-sick world is just blow after blow after blow to the soul. I know it starts in the mind. It often starts in the mind where we begin to worry about something or be filled with anxiety or have issues that, that in our minds we just mull on it and mull on it and mull on it. And before you know it, what's disturbing our mind begins to disturb our bodies and we get physically sick because of what's going on in our heads. And we're worried and upset and angry and bitter and all the things that life will bring. And then from our bodies, then our emotions start to be touched. And we become different people as we exhibit ourselves in those emotions that have been damaged and tainted by what's going on in our mind, what's going on in our body, and what's going on. And before you know it, our very soul is damaged. And the Bible says that God will restore that which the enemies tried to steal away. He will restore that which the enemies tried to destroy in your life. He will, destroy, he will restore that which even upon ourselves we brought great damage into, this, into our lives, walking through the dusty roads of sin, sickness, and trials, and tribulations. He restores my soul. He restores it. Our shepherd restores to us that which has been stolen away in our minds, in the deepest emotions of our hearts. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. That's, that's a promise to you and me. That's what God has given to us. We suffer through so many disappointments, don't we? So many difficulties. Some of you at this stage right now of your life didn't expect you to be where you're at right now. And it's painful and it's hard and it hurts. 
It goes deep. It's more than a surface pain. It goes so deep to the very core of who you are, your hopes and dreams. Your faith in God is being challenged. If God is your shepherd, he promises to restore your soul, to build up your faith, to encourage you. We go through so many difficult and damaging times in life. They tend to bring destruction, and they take their toll in our lives. Often these things will lead a person just to throw up their hands and quit and give up. You see, when my soul is drained and damaged, the Lord, my shepherd, does a great work in my life through his spirit. He literally restores my soul. And notice what he does. He then leads me in better paths. The paths of righteousness are not the paths of destruction. The paths of righteousness, and I love this too, you'll notice that the shepherd is described as leading, not pushing, not kicking, not pulling, not driving like cattle, not forcing, but rather in love leading us. And we look to him and we follow him. Even as Jesus would say, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and lay our lives before the shepherd and trust him with our very lives the restorative work, the rest that he gives, leading us into those places that are nourishing, restoring who we are on the inside, then leading us in the paths of righteousness. Why, verse 3? For his namesake. We carry his name, church. We carry his name into this world. There are righteous ways to handle our emotions, you know. Righteous way to handle our fear, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Righteous ways to handle our anger, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Righteous ways to handle our anxieties, Philippians. This is where I want to close with you. Turn over to Philippians chapter 4 with me. Righteous way to deal with our vain imagination, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. Notice with me Philippians chapter 4 as we close. It's so good to know that God is our shepherd, amen? Just so good. When Jesus said he's the good shepherd, that's what he means. He's the good shepherd. He's not the bad shepherd. He's not the mean shepherd. He's not the destructive shepherd. And he's definitely not a hireling in our lives. He's not going to run away when times get tough. But rather, people might run away. People might abandon you. People might betray you. People might come against you in your hardest, most difficult times. But the Bible promises that even if our mother and father forsake us, God will not forsake us. He will not turn his back upon us. He will not be a hireling to us. He is the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. Notice Philippians chapter 4. Pick up with me in verse 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness or your graciousness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And here's the promise. Here's the promise, church. That the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. That's a promise. Your heart, speaking of the soul and the very inner being, and your mind, where it all starts. We have to end here today, but we'll continue next time. Just know this, receive it, meditate upon it. You and I, we have a shepherd, and he cares for us as his own precious sheep. That's a good thought to head off today with. 
This is Abounding Grace, and Pastor Ed Taylor is leading a study of John's Gospel right now. You can hear these radio programs on our website anytime at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another way to go and grow in the Word is by downloading our app. Search for Ed Taylor. This is a great way for you to take in the Word of God wherever you may be. Look for us on Apple Podcasts, too. See if this sounds familiar. You have a stubborn habit. You've prayed about it, surrendered it to God, and yet you still can't seem to break free. It's about that time that discouragement can begin to set in. Well, today we'd like to recommend a helpful book authored by Erwin Lutzer called How to Break a Stubborn Habit. In it, you'll find three essential ground rules you need to accept in order to change. Also, discover the secret to dismissing tempting thoughts. And Erwin Lutzer uncovers the roles of God, Satan, and your loved ones in your success or failure. Request a copy today when you give a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Call 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryco.store. And here at Abounding Grace, we look to the Lord to provide for us. If He's leading you to take an active role in the ministry through either a one-time gift or ongoing monthly support, please visit us online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or call 877-30-GRACE. More about the Good Shepherd coming your way tomorrow on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Don't miss our next study. It's going to be a good one. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.